the fifth chapter of Galatians, beginning at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. You can divide the matter of salvation into two categories, two major concerns. What God has done or is doing for us to set us free in Christ Jesus, that's the first work of salvation. And after we have been set free, what is He doing to enable us to stay free? For the theme of the gospel, theme of the book of Galatians is stay free in Christ Jesus. But how do you stay free? Every time he refers to our freedom in Christ, he warns us that that freedom can be lost. There are two kinds of bondages that you can fall into after you've been saved. Legalism and license. One of them makes Christianity a rule book religion. That's legalism. The other means, the other extreme is that I can do anything I please. And that's what he's warning against in verse 13 when he says, Don't let your liberty be an excuse for indulging. So how is it when I am free to stay free? Well, verse 16 answers that question for us. Verse 16 says, in essence, that the sacrifice of Christ set us free, and the Spirit of Christ keeps us free. So that the Spirit that regenerated us is the one who is to regulate us. And he uses a double negative. It's not good English, but it's good Greek, and it's good theology. He says, 
And if you walk by the Spirit, you will not by no means fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if a person in his daily life is letting the Holy Spirit regulate him or control him, that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And when that happens, he will by no means fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now when we walk in the Spirit, that is letting the Spirit of God regulate our life and control our life, there are three things that, that occur. Number one, the person who does that lives a life of conquest. And so he says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For they are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. The person who walks by the Spirit lives a life of conquest. Now there are three truths revealed, three truths revealed in verses 16 and 17. We, we, we discussed them uh, a little bit the other night, Sunday night. The first truth is that in every believer there are two coexisting natures. There is a certain theology, there is a teaching that says that when a person becomes a Christian that God eradicates the old nature, the old sin nature is eradicated. There is another theology or system of theology that teaches that when a person becomes a believer there is the progress in which the old nature is eradicate, eradicated over a period of times called sanctification. A person comes to the place where the old sin nature is eradicated. But if the old sin nature is eradicated, then there'd be no temptation. It would mean that we would live, we would serve Jesus, we would, we would uh, please Jesus, not because we chose to, but because we had no choice, we had to. So there exist in every believer two coexisting natures. He doesn't take away the old Adamic nature. There are two natures in, in, uh, that exist in each of us. Second truth. Not only are, the, are there two coexisting natures, these natures are contrary natures. We're at war inside. There's a feud going on in everybody. When the Holy Spirit leads, the flesh opposes, he says. And when the flesh leads, the Spirit opposes. And if you could see two wrestlers grappling and, and struggling, that's the picture on, it's, that occurs in every believer. In every believer, there is this tension that exists between the coexisting natures. The greatest enemy you have is within you. A number of years ago, a pastor of the First Baptist Church in Fort Smith by the name of J. Harold Smith, as a matter of fact, he preached on television. He's one of these raucous kind of guys, and he was always stirring up something. You know, he was always um, taking some crusade against some social issue. And he has had all kinds of uh, enemies, opposition, people giving him death threats. And he was on television, so he was a public figure, and everybody was after him. And one morning he got up on Sunday morning, he said, Tonight I'm going to name my enemy. He said, I've got an enemy that's out to destroy me. 
And he said, I want all the press. He said, I want the, the, the newspapers. I want you to alert everybody in Fort Smith because I'm going to call his name tonight from this pulpit. I'm going to expose my greatest enemy. And boy, it was packed out because everybody knew he had a bunch. They didn't know who his worst one was. And they, they were anxious to see if he really would call his name. And he got up in the pulpit and he said, My greatest enemy is J. Harold Smith. Within each of us is this civil war and this tension between the two natures, the old fallen nature and the nature that's been given us by the Lord Himself. They're conflicting natures. And they are controlling natures. Now, what is the Spirit of God trying to do? The Spirit of God is trying to control your life. And you are the one who determines who is in control. Now, who, who, is, who is it in this fight that overcomes the flesh? Our, our idea, our concept is that, 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 it, that, it's, that it's me. I, I have to, somehow, I have to get... Uh, schooled and trained enough in scripture and I have to go to church enough and pray enough so that I can overcome the flesh there's not a single person in here tonight who has the power to overcome the old nature and our picture is if you could you could imagine this is that there you know there's three people in this, this ring me and my opponent and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is there to act kind of like a referee, you know. He, he doesn't let the, he doesn't let the uh, enemy completely, con you know, destroy him. And he steps in and, you know, just in the nick of time. Let me show you how it really is. You ever, you ever watch tag team wrestling? I'm, one of my children, I'm not going to name her. <laughs> one of my children used to love this big time wrestling on television. Man. Get, you know, they, they get up on top of the ring, you know, and jump off 300 pounds behemoth gorillas, and they jump on top of people. It doesn't even hurt them. I mean, it doesn't even bruise them. It's amazing to me. And, and, you know, on Saturday afternoon, we get this big-time wrestling, and they get in there, and these big guys, you know, and, and occasionally have tag-team wrestlers. And they'd struggle, you know, and just before they passed out, I mean, just be before they breathe their last breath, they struggled over to the corner and tagged their partner, and he leaped into the ring, boy, and started the battle. Um, now, in a goofy way, that's the analogy here, is that the battle belongs to him. And if we can just lay hold on him and let him lay hold on us he does the battle he does the fighting so that the the victory is won not because i have strength enough to overcome the victory is won because i allow him to do the fighting for me and it's interesting 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 in verse 16 that he says that that person who allows the holy spirit to regulate his life will not fulfill that is reach the goal or attain the end that is the the, the flesh will will not attain its end it will not control you all right second not only does he live a life of conquest he lives a life of Christ-likeness. Look at verse 22. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and he names those fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Just write down the line, the list. Now, what is fruit? Fruit is the outward expression of the inner life. The outward expression of the life within. I've, I've, I've uh, used this illustration before. It's the best I can do. I don't know much about fruit trees. Um, I do know a, the difference between, you know, an apple tree, I think, just, you know, and a peach tree, whatever. But I don't know that much about fruit trees. And I, I might walk into an orchard and there are all kinds of fruit trees. And they all look alike. They all have branches and they all have green leaves and they're all about the same size I probably would not know one from the other but if those trees begin to produce fruit and I'm dumb but I'm not stupid and I see an apple hanging off of the branch on the branch of a tree I'm going to assume that that tree is an apple tree because that fruit is the outward manifestation of the nature of the tree. Now the fruit of the Spirit, he says, is love and peace and patience. And right down the line, he describes it. And this is what he's saying. He's saying that when you allow the Holy Spirit to regulate your life, what he does is reproduce his life in you and through you. Well, let's just look down these, uh, this list. Love. Love is really neither shallow sentiment nor reciprocated benevolence. Its finest description is 1 Corinthians 13, and its finest embodiment is in Jesus Christ. And there's joy so deep in its wellspring that no circumstance can stop its flow. No persecution could drive it from the early church. And no imprisonment could take it from the apostle. And there's peace. And this peace is so basic to the Christian life, so basic to Christianity, that it is almost always associated with grace. And what he's saying is, grace and peace, you know those terms, and what he's saying is that only the person who has experienced the grace of God will ever know this peace. And it refers to that inner contentment of the heart that believes that all things, all things are in the hands of God. And there's patience. Some are short-tempered. He's saying that the Holy Spirit can make you long-tempered and kind and, and good. And then he comes to those qualities that relate to ourselves, to our own inner life. Gentleness. He's, he, he's referring to gentle strength. The word in the Greek is prous. And Barclay says that only a person who has prous could cleanse the temple of the hucksters who were there trading in it and at the same time forgive the woman that orthodoxy condemned. Self-control is the description of that inner struggle by which a man seizes control of himself, refusing to be swept away by, iner by errant desires or impulses. And he says, against such there is no law when a person allows the Holy Spirit to reproduce himself in his life. He doesn't have to live by law. So that the person who walks by the Spirit is a man of 
lives a life of conquest. And he lives a life of, of Christ-likeness. And finally, he lives a life of cooperation. Two things as it relates to freedom. There are things that God does for us and only God can do for us. But I have to cooperate with Him. And what He does and desires to do in my life requires my cooperation, requires my submission. Now there is a threefold cooperation that is necessary in walking in the Spirit in this text. The first is found in verse 24. Let's read it together. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the first thing in living a life of cooperation with the Holy Spirit is that I must daily reject the demands of the flesh. Daily reject them. He's saying, in essence, let them remain crucified. Daily I have to renew the crucifixion of Romans 6. When Jesus died, I died with Him, and I have to keep myself in the place of death. It means that I daily say no to self, and I reject and I repudiate the influence of the flesh. It was Tozier who said, It appears that to many Christians, they want to, to enjoy the thrill of being right or feeling right, but they're not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. And someone else said, We're far more ready to pray for the things we want than for the power to give up the things we don't need. So that in crucifying the self... My prayer is, God, give me the power to say no to these desires. Second, there is the daily repentance of sin. Now, why do I have to daily repent of sin? Because I daily commit them. And if I keep up, keep my sins confessed up, daily committing them to God, repenting of them, and and, and turning from them and confessing them. I live that life free from sin. And third, I have to respond to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18. He says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Wouldn't it be so much easier if God would just come, you know, and just zap us, you know, like these little uh, things you see on TV, these little fairies, and they got these wands, you know, and they, they come flying in, fluttering in, and they touch something, and all of a sudden it just sparkles, and it's pure, clean, and good. Wouldn't it just be so much easier if I could just pray some kind of prayer and God would just zap me and all of the desires and all the, all the, you know, the impulses to do wrong would just suddenly be taken away. That would be so much easier. But it's just not like that. The term he uses is, is, the, is the analogy of a shepherd 
leading his sheep along. We're not driven by the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. Now, now watch this carefully. It requires a daily obedience to the leadership of the Spirit of God. So that when God impresses by His Spirit His, de His demand, His will upon my life, my immediate response is, I will do it, I do it, I respond positively. In verse 45, look at that, mark that. In verse 25, He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. If you look back to verse 16, you'll see the same word in the English translated walk. There are two different words in the Greek language. Watch this. The one in verse 16 means to walk around. It means to, to, to uh, uh, live, literally. But the word in verse 25 means to walk in line, to line up. And it's a military term. It means to get in line and stay in line. And what the Holy Spirit is telling us is this, that if I'm going to lead you, you're going to have to line up with me and you're going to have to stay in line with me. And it simply is a description of discipline and discipleship. And it doesn't come easy. I line my life up with God and I stay in line by the discipline of discipleship and obedience. Now if a person walks by the Spirit, he will by no means fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if he wants to stay free, that's the key. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll help us to see and understand that there is more to being saved and walk in an aisle and giving our heart to Christ. And grant us, Lord, this, the understanding and the will to line our life up to the regulation of the Holy Spirit and live by the Spirit. For I pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. There are three invitations tonight, an invitation for you to come if you want to come and give your heart to Christ. First time decision to follow Him, maybe to join our church, as some have done today, to line your life up to the regulation, the regulating, controlling of the Holy Spirit. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.